Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast, Episode 2, The Life and Crimes of New Jack. I know you're probably expecting some more Grill and JR content. JR show comes out tomorrow, but we figured, hey, we're all quarantined. Uh, let's enjoy a little bonus content and talk about last night's epic episode from dark side of the ring, all about new Jack. It happens Tuesday nights at 10 PM Eastern on vice and joining us today, just like we did a few days ago for Chris Benoit, the producers of the series, Evan and Jason, Evan, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having us, Jason. I'm excited to break this one down. Let's get right into it and talk about new Jack. How difficult oh. was this to uh, get New Jack on board with a project like this? Well, it's actually kind of a funny story. I'll let Evan take the wheel on this one because he <laughs> had to directly like call him and reach out to him, um, <laughs> which was, uh, yeah, pretty crazy onto itself. Well, just to back up for, just for a second, like uh, this is one of the episodes that was heavily requested by uh, viewers from last season. Uh, a lot of people wanted to see New Jack, uh, wanted to see his story, or wanted to see the mass transit incident uh, covered on the show. Um, it was definitely one of, I would say, the most, the top ten most requested stories that people wanted us to cover. So when it came time to do season two, um, I, you know, I got New Jack's contact information, gave him a, a a cold call, you know, and I have to admit was definitely intimidated. And was, you know, like, Mr. Mr. Jack you know, when I got him <laughs> on the phone. And he basically said three words, more or less, uh, on the phone. It was basically, like, so, yeah, we uh, have this television show and uh, we'd love to do uh, an episode about you. Uh, would you want like, would you want to do that? And he was like, yeah. I was like, OK, so we'll just come down to visit you. And Yeah. Okay, so should I just call when I get there? Yeah. And it was like three yes, basically. So like we're operating on like a wing and a prayer. This interview is going to happen based on like three yes on a phone. So we get to his his town and um, the night before, I just had to confirm to make sure that this interview was on. And so I give him a call and then – and I just realize – that the venue that we got now, one thing about the venue is that we, you know, new Jack's you, you look at shoot interviews that new Jack has done over the last, you know, whatever, 10 plus years. And most of them are, you know, in that Ramada Inn setting or somewhere, right. which has a great texture to it and is amazing. But we wanted to try and do something a little bit more epic th than that for this. And Jason, I can't remember if it was your idea or, or how it came about, but yeah, no, like I, we definitely, we did some location scouting just like on the, you know, online and we came across like the movie theater and we thought like that would look so cool. The place new Jack and that, and it had balconies too. So it was kind of symbol, uh, like it had a lot of symbolism in a lot of ways for the right. interview. Um, but I think it, it like 
we were like on the road already for like a while. And when we ar- arrived into town that night, it was late. And I think there was even some mess ups with like our bookings at the hotel. And we were just like already exhausted. We finally got into our beds. And I remember I, I just, I thought I should just look at the location before we like go there in the morning. And that's when we realized, I remember oh. looking at the map and being like, wait a minute, it's saying it's like an hour and a half away from where we're staying. Like we're supposed uh. to be 10 minutes from this place. And I remember I went to your hotel door, knocked, and you answered the door and I told you, and you just like gave me that look that we've had many times where it was like, <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, and it was like, and I had realized, because we had told New Jack, uh, you know, oh, we're just going to shoot at this movie theater. It's going to be super cool. It's going to look amazing. It's like 10 minutes from your house. No problem. And then you realize, oh, my God, this place is an hour and 10 minutes away. How, how, you know, and it's like the wrong interview to have an amateur mistake, you know, like the wrong interview, because <laughs> I just was immediately picturing myself like, you know, in the ring, you know, getting mass transited, you know, like, <laughs> ah, you know, like from this. Like my father screaming at me, no, my son. Um, and just like, oh, man, what, what's going to happen? So I had to call him. And thankfully, you know, you know, you have to use a little bit of salesmanship. And it was kind of like, look, the venue we were supposed to use, um, that's 10 minutes away. You know, they had some uh, electricity problems. And uh, but good news, we got a new movie theater. It's even better. And, and we have a limo on the way to pick you up. right? Yeah, now. I remember you called yeah. the production manager and you were like, Whatever you do, just do it exactly the way you would do it as if you were picking up Dwayne Johnson and bringing him to the location. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. And so and and then uh, yeah, and then and then everything worked out. And uh, the movie theater that we did get, like, you know, the one that we had originally booked that was, you know, over an hour away was amazing. And uh, and it was just like New Jack, like, you know, I was texting with him, like, is there anything we can get you? And he's like, you know, vodka and orange juice. And so we had like, you know, bright and early in the morning, had some vodka and orange juice there for him. Yeah, the movie theater had it there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 they just gave it to him. That's right. And then um, he shows up to the venue and, you know, and, and Jason, you could take it from here, but there was no small talk. Yeah, basically, like he rolled up. Usually in most cases, like it, it, it's kind of it's hard to, you know, get to know our subjects before we ask them to sit down and talk about some of these very intimate moments in their lives. And so we try to make the most of the time that we have with them. And so when but when New Jack rolled up, there was just absolutely zero small talk. And I I, I feel it was like it was so like uncomfortable in a lot of ways because we're we were just we were trying so hard to like connect through and it was just like he didn't want to talk until the cameras were rolling and it wasn't until like later on in the interview he said something along the lines of uh he said i walked into this building as new jack and i'm i'm leaving this building as new jack and that Mm. is when i thought oh right like we we just got worked (laughs) well it was also like I think one of the other reasons we like to connect with our subjects a little bit beforehand is obviously, you know, wrestlers can be closed off because they've been trained to be closed off or, you know, they do have another side of their persona. And I think with New Jack, like the more that you research New Jack and the more you've looked at his shoot interviews and some other things he said over the years, you know, his stories kind of evolve. 
But also sometimes you can see he opens up about his childhood or he's more lucid about his childhood in, 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 in certain interviews. And we had done a lot of research about that aspect of him. Like what, what really is his story growing up? Yeah. Cause and, we thought too, that maybe we could connect with him just on like a wrestling level because we knew that he was like, he might, he may have hidden, hidden it over the years, but he was like a, a full on wrestling fan, a total sure. mark, like when he was a kid. And like, we did find this one story where he told this story. I don't know if it's true at the time when he told it, but he told this story of standing outside an arena and he had a poster that he made for Dusty Rhodes and he was like holding it up and he was cheering for Dusty as he was like walking by him and Dusty like totally like snubbed him, I guess. And it like just rubbed him such like in such a wrong way. And it always stayed with him. Um, but when we asked him about that, he he denied it completely. And he just wasn't like he wasn't open to talking about being a, a fan a wrestling of wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, it, yeah, that was just something that we like an area we really wanted to try and, you know, access for this for this interview. And, you know, he did touch upon his childhood in the episode. I mean, you see it, but it's pretty much to the extent of uh, as far as he was willing to go. But, you know, it was definitely one of the more memorable interviews we did um, in all of season two, maybe even in the whole show, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, when when he got to the venue, it was he was very, you know, cold, uh, not no interest in small talk. But when the camera was on, he was on. You know, I, I know this is a weird question, uh, so forgive me for asking, but when a guy takes a, a quote unquote booking like this and agrees to do, uh, the documentary, is this, is this something he's compensated for? Is he feeling like this is a paid new Jack appearance? Well, I think the thing is, is that, um, you know, when he got there, um, I think, I don't think he knew what vice was or I, he didn't know what dark side of the ring was right like i remember when i'm talking to him on the phone about like hey we have this tv show you know it's it's like it just wasn't really registering he kind of was looking at it just like a shoot interview or you know just some i think what like one of those you know interview things and so i think when he showed up and obviously our setup is a is is more robust than your typical shoot interview is in terms of the cameras and the lights and everything so I remember halfway through the interview, we 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 took a break, and uh, you know he goes over to the vodka and orange juice table, and uh, the only thing he kind of said to me in that during that break was, "Are a lot of people going to see this?" Is what he said, and I think maybe that's and I and I and I didn't want to say, "Well, yeah, you know," um, sure. or anything like that because I didn't want it to necessarily influence the way he was going on camera. But there was kind of uh, a disconnect, I think, a little bit in terms of really what he was uh, doing <laughs> at the time, you know, or what he was participating in. Well, you can definitely tell, at least from my perception of the way he's been sort of promoting it on social media, he was excited about the opportunity to have his story in front of a big audience. I mean, that's sort of the mm -hmm. vibe you guys got as well, right, Jason? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's the only way I've had like kind of any correspondence with him since is like, is kind of through social media. He's like DM me a couple times, just like the other day I posted a, a picture of the, the new Jack figure that we filmed, uh, in the episode and, and I kept it. 
And I, I just posted a little video on my Instagram of it. And he was like so surprised that I had his action figure. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> that is also my action figure. And I will want that. I do want that back. <laughs> That's right. So you took, took that. It. Hey, you, you took that this border to get it. Yeah, I know you, you took that and I was, I could not believe that. I got to tell you the, uh, the action figure piece of this particular episode really got my attention because I don't know, I guess I never really closely examined the ECW, uh, new Jack action figure. And he references it in the documentary when he's talking to his mom, sort of tongue in cheek saying, how many other sons do you know that have, uh, an action figure in Toys R Us. And then to sort of hype the episode last night, he posted a selfie of him uh, with probably his favorite vodka drink. And in the background are uh, <laughs> a bunch of action figures. And, and I wouldn't have guessed that that New Jack was a collector or, or a quote unquote fan of his own stuff and, and, and kept some of his own stuff. But I think that's probably uh, another clue into his real life yes. fandom. Let's talk. Yeah. About Actually, Evan and I talked about that last night because we saw on the After Dark show he was he was being he was interviewed just with Skype and is in that room. And I saw all the action figures on the wall and I wrote Evan and I was just like, wow, look, like he really is a fan of this stuff. And he also said on Twitter last night too. someone asked him about the that moment in the episode, like, you know, getting his action figure in Toys R Us. And he he actually commented on Twitter saying it was the high, like the highlight of his career, like that was the crowning achievement for him was to get his own action figure. So, another clue. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, and and this really is sort of um, an interesting character to dive into because you know we've often talked about the line of where does Jerome Young end and where does New Jack begin. I'm sure you guys are in an uncomfortable place, but when you're actually on site with him, if you're starting to get sort of the new Jack character, is there a way for you to delicately say, you know, we really want to talk about Jerome young as a kid without sort of blowing the whole shoot. How do you balance that Evan? Well, <clears throat> that, that definitely was like, um, you know, cause when I, when I format my interview questions for all the, for all the subjects, um, I, I tend to consider how I think or how I anticipate the interview is going to go. And if there's anything super difficult or anything really, uh, you know, sensitive in that material, I'll kind of structure it towards the end. And that was something that I did for this, which is, you know, cause you want to get, you want to warm up with the person and you want to see if you can get them into a rhythm and get them to trust you more or get them to open up to you more. Cause then when you get to those parts that you know, he might, or someone might be guarded about, then you can, you can, you can really get a, a you know, like a, a, a better, more truthful, more sincere answer. And that's what we did. And I remember after we got through the whole story, uh, I circled back around to his childhood and, um, you know, by, by the end of the interview, he just was so impassioned. And that's the, the part of, his interview where he, I, I remember he got like the most vocal, the loudest when he was talking about his family. I mean, when you see it on last night's broadcast, I mean, you know, I mean, I would say 70% of it is bleeped out when he's talking about his family. So I don't even know if he can really understand everything that he's saying, but you know, it, it definitely from, from what he, from, from his story, I mean, it, it, it was a, it was a pretty difficult, um, you know, wild, wild, uh, you know, him, him actually growing up. And then one other thing that didn't make the episode that actually they ran a clip of in the after dark segment 
is they talked about uh, or they uh, showed the clip of him doing his first ever convenience store robbery, which he had done, like, I think in his what, like his early teens or something. Yeah. And uh, we shot a whole reenactment scene of that. And we and they played that as like a deleted scene. So we 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 kind of did get into his whole like uh, background as, um, you know, growing up in this in this horrifying domestic situation and then you know becoming kind of a small time criminal and you know doing some of these convenience store robberies and then eventually i think in his senior year of high school he actually got caught and police came into his classroom and pulled him out and then he actually went to to jail for i think over a year or two maybe two years i think it was and then and 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 he did open up about his experience in jail and all the crazy stuff he saw you know during that whole time which definitely you know i'm sure shaped him in many ways but in a lot of cases too we find that like um when you're doing these interviews it's like within usually the first hour it's like you're getting all the stuff that they've like they've just they've been telling over the years over and over it's kind of programmed and it's not till i feel like after that first hour or hour and a half that you start to break through to get new information and like evan was saying um new jack was just starting to open to up to us in a way that was really getting interesting. Totally. Talk to me about the actual set. You know, how, how many guys are, are there on site when you're sitting down with new Jack? It's just, um, Evan and myself, uh, we have a sound recordist, uh, Adam Burke, and, um, we had another camera operator who I think at that time it was, uh, Danny who was with us. That's right. Uh, um, but yeah, it's just we keep it really small and tight, and we just want it to be like as intimate as possible. And uh, there's been times where it's just been Evan and myself and, and a camera as well. Um, but yeah, we always find like it's just the more intimate we can make it, it's just I, I think we get more or like better material. Evan, how different is this particular episode? Because most of the folks that are really the subject of this series are no longer with us. Of course, last week it was mostly about Chris Benoit. Uh, coming up, we've got Dino Bravo and Jimmy Snuka and Owen Hart. And a lot of these guys are no longer with us, but, but here new Jack is still, you know, the central figure and, and he's still alive to tell his story. How different does that make this episode from uh, a storytelling component? It's a good question. Um, because you know, when we set out to do this episode, um, as I was mentioning earlier on, it was one of the most, you know, highest uh, requested stories that we tackle. And when we were looking at this, we were like, okay, how are we going to tell the story? Um, Jason and I looked at the mass transit story, that whole aspect of the, uh, of the new Jack saga and realized that could we get a full hour out of this? I wasn't sure we could get the full hour out of just that story. And then when we started researching new Jack more, we started to see that the story really is about a, you know, cause we always like to examine the blurred lines aspect of wrestling, you know, reality versus wrestling fiction. That's always been a key theme that we've explored in the, in the show since the very beginning. And that theme was really evident, um, when looking at, you know, how new Jack started and, and, and I will admit I did not, I had a total blind spot to new Jack's career in smoky mountain wrestling. That was something that was totally new to me. Uh, outside of the OJ promo, which definitely was, you know, on YouTube and is uh, incredible, but his whole body of work in Smoky Mountain was something that I wasn't aware of at the time. So that going from that and then how his character, um, escalated, 
you know, over the course of, you know, uh, 15 or plus years, 20 years, um, in terms of going from these, having this series of incidents that take place in the ring where you're really seeing the blurred lines aspect. And then it gave us the opportunity to examine where do you draw the line between wrestling performance and assault. And that became kind of this fascinating, uh, gray area that, really only exists in the world of wrestling, right? So that was kind of the more of the story we wanted to tell. And it was unique for us because we don't typically do bio stories. We don't typically, um, I mean, in this season, we have a few of them, but but it was definitely a first for us in terms of structuring like a more bio approach to an episode. Um, whereas most of the episodes we do kind of focus on one event, one, one kind of, uh, you know, controversial event or something. And so for us, it was, it was different in terms of being able to, you know, structure and tell someone's life growing up all the way through until present day. Um, and of course having new Jack here to speak about it, um, you know, just having his perspective. And I think that gives it a whole other layer to this because you see through all of these horrifying moments in the ring that we're that we're talking about he's he's completely remorseless uh about any of these moments which could have resulted in something more serious there was definitely a chance and an opportunity where any of these incidents could have resulted in something more extreme um and so we wanted to explore that as well and that also kind of plays into is this jerome young talking or is this new jack talking yeah, because one thing we're very interested in and something that Evan and I kind of do a little bit is we, re- we really romanticize the, the the wrestlers who really blurred those lines. Like, that's why we I think we got so into Bruiser Brody is that, like, it was so hard at the time to figure out who was the real person opposed to, like, the character. And then when you're and, – and characters like Abdul the Butcher and guys who, like, come from that era are just so fascinating to us. And so here you have like New Jack who kind of in a lot of ways toes that line because it really is hard to decipher who is Jerome Ryong opposed to New Jack. And New Jack knows that and he's very aware of it. And what's interesting is, is he's very aware, I think, of how like wrestling really like celebrates its legends and he knows that his legend will like live on past him. And I feel he, in a way he's kind of protecting that legend. And so in some ways it's like the way he, he uh, shows no remorse for some of these acts. I tend to wonder if that is still really truly him or is that him playing into the character because he knows that legacy will live on. Yeah. Good point. I mean, you kind of hope that, that he does have remorse and that he's just instead uh, showing favor to his legacy. I mean, isn't that what you would hope for Evan? Oh, I mean, definitely. Yeah. For the sake of humanity. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of humanity, you know, you said a, a moment ago that you had sort of a blind spot to his smoky mountain run. Everybody knows. I shouldn't say everybody. Most hardcore wrestling fans are familiar with the mass transit incident. Did you know about the Vic Grimes incident, the Gypsy Joe incident, and, and the, the deal in Florida with the guy, William Lane. Um, I knew about like going into this project, I knew about the mass transit incident. Um, not to the extent that we would go like how far the rabbit hole would go once we were working on this. Not at all. Um, I knew about 
I don't think I knew about the Gypsy Joe thing. The Vic Grimes thing I'd definitely seen before because that was such a, a viral clip. Yeah. Um, I didn't know really about the Gypsy Joe thing and then the William Jason Lane thing, not at all. I mean, I think maybe I had clicked on it. Not It didn't really fully register to me when it was kind of making the rounds. Um, but once we got the angle of that footage that you, we use in the show, and then it was like, oh, my God, that was – Truly horrifying, that whole thing. Let's talk about mass transit. Let's transition there. This was such a, a tape trading bonanza when it first came out. And then there was so much controversy and there's been rumor and innuendo surrounding Bruce Mitchell of the torch for supposedly being the guy to send that tape, to get viewers choice, to cancel the ECW pay-per-view. So even if you weren't necessarily on top of the story, it became a much bigger story when there were implications for the pay-per-view. But you guys now dig way deep into not the business side of it, but the, the personal side of it. Of course, Eric is no longer with us, but mass transit's father, Eric's dad, he's still around. Uh, and, and then I think you guys say in the documentary declined to participate. Talk to me about, you know, what that process was like trying to get him on board and why ultimately he decided not to. Well, Steven Kulas, uh, Eric Kulas's father is actually, he actually has passed away. Um, And, uh, one of the things I'll just go back a little bit. One of the things that we wanted to do with this story is when we looked at the mass transit story and how it's been covered before and how, like what the fans reaction to it has been over the years, it just felt so ripe for rediscovery, not for a number of reasons. Um, one is you tend to get the reaction from wrestling fans. Oh, he deserved it. How dare this kid lie about his age and, you know, lie about his experience and, you know, he deserves this, you know, or whatever. And it's, it's interesting to see just the, the side that wrestling fans take on this story. So I felt it was really important, uh, just for us to do our due diligence and to, and to see if there is another side to this story. And so, uh, we, our office had reached out to the Kulas family, um, and, and Eric, uh, Kulas's mom, um, uh, answered the phone and, Right from the get-go, it became very apparent that this incident was an extremely um, traumatic experience for the entire family and actually more or less completely destroyed it. And my biggest regret or my – I think my biggest regret in in the entire Dark Side of the Ring perhaps is not being able to convince her to participate in the show – Um, because that perspective would have added so much to this episode because basically the narrative that you get on this story for so many years is essentially new Jack's side of the story. You know, you don't really get to see, uh, the, the mass transit side of the story. And so when we, when we were talking to her, um, you know, she was, she was very, very uh, upset about the whole thing. And, and she basically told us that she couldn't go back there. She couldn't go back there to even talk about this. Um, and that, that was just too, too difficult, uh, for her. And the reasons for that is, is essentially after it happened, from my understanding, I, I, you know, we hadn't had a chance to interview her. So my understanding is that after this happened, as tiny, the terrible says in the episode, it changed Eric, which it definitely did. And over the course of the next few years, you know, he was struggling with his weight. He got a, a operation, um, and he, he, he essentially was struggling also with, the, with, you know, a lot of mental health issues following this. And he 
more or less kind of ate himself to death. I mean, that's really kind of what happened. And after that, uh, his Eric's brother, who was also there the night that the incident took place, he has just got out of prison and he's been living an entire life of crime, getting in and out of jail ever since this happened. And it spiraled him downward on, and, and put him on that path as well. And then the father just recently passed away, uh, I think a few years ago, and 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 uh, he had been struggling with it ever since. And so it was like, wow, that this would be a bombshell to be able to put in the episode to show this completely different perspective about how, like, <clears throat> in wrestling, this is celebrated almost as one of the more you know infamous moments in the ring. But now here's the real human consequences and and casualties of this thing, and. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. We weren't able to get her. And that's why at the end of the episode, we wanted to make mention of that, at least that, uh, you know, those attempts were made. Um, and I even had I even talked to uh, Eric Kulas's mother's lawyer. Uh, he called me and was like, because, you know, I was still trying. I was still trying to make communication with her to try to get on uh, in this. And, and basically the attorney was like. You know, you're going to talk to me now and, and you can handle it with me. And and her attorney really wanted her to do this because they uh, they were really interested in getting the Kulas family story out there. It's just she just couldn't open that door. She just could not do it. And so for us, it's it's one of the things when I sit back and I watch the episode, I, I just kind of imagine if you were seeing New Jack's side of the story, which is exhilarating to listen to, but then you were – to, to hear the other side of it, it would be, uh, it would have a completely different effect. Well, the other person that's involved in this mass transit story who does appear on the episode is a character named tiny, the terrible. And, uh, Evan, when you first sent me a, a screener link a couple of weeks ago to, to give you some feedback on this episode, my first response was I love tiny, the terrible, this dude needs his own show. Jason, this feels like it would have been an off the rails day with tiny, the terrible. Tell me about your experience working with him. <laughs> oh, oh man. It was gr- incredible. Probably one of the highlights of, I think creating the, like both seasons of the show. Um, I remember when he was first pitched to us in the office as a potential interview subject, you know, we can only have so many subjects in the show and, the sh- and we can only afford to go so many places. So at one point he, it, like he was like, there was a time when we were possibly not going to interview him, but then I, I did more research on him and I found like he had done this documentary called a man among giants, which is about him running for mayor of a, I think it was a Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And yeah, that, he ran for mayor. I just want to emphasize that. Yeah. Like, and I think <laughs> I watched that doc maybe three times in a row, like that night. And I just kept blowing up Evan's phone. I was like, man, we have to go to Tiny the Terrible. Like, <laughs> this is all I want to do right now. And um, and so we went, and it was, like, such a trip. It was so cool. Like, when we got into his apartment, he showed us that he had this, like, incredible collection of action figures that he made himself, that he handmade. I think there were maybe, like, three or 400 action figures. It was insane. And he, like... He created his own universe, and I think he has like a couple clips on YouTube um, that he calls like ghetto ghetto altered is what he calls the universe. And so he's got like Whoopi Goldberg is the Superman in this world. So he's got a Whoopi Goldberg action figure that's Superman, and just like so many other like iconic African American actors 
like as like action figures. And then I look over and he's got like there's like a Nazi woman doll. And I'm like, who's this? And he's like, oh, that's Hitler's girlfriend. Oh, I was like, oh, I was like, do you do you have Hitler's action figure? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I got it right here. And he pulls it out and he puts them side by side. And I was like, oh, so are these like the like villains in your world? And he's like, villains. He's like, these are the heroes. <laughs> oh, no. what? Like, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but it was so like, it was so fascinating. And he had like a whole story and a background to like all of the characters. Um, it's like, it's something we filmed and like, I spent a lot of time filming it. And, and uh, yeah, he even went to the point of like, there, he showed me this one action figure that had like an Afro on it. And I like got closer to it, and he said, "Yeah, I made this afro with my pubes." Oh, <laughs> oh, and it yeah, was, it yeah. totally gives you a new meaning to hashtag scratch that figure itch. Oh, God. <laughs> shout out and, to Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. My goodness. Oh man. No, yeah, he was like he he had held the action figure up to your camera lens, and he's like, "Yeah, this one's interesting because." You know, I actually had to use my dick hair on it. And I was like, oh, my God. And just like he's just using he just had all of these handmade action figures. It was so it was so overwhelming. And we actually filmed like like we are as soon as we get through the season, it's going to be like our own little mini doc that we're going to edit, essentially, of him talking about um, just all of his his action figures that that he's made. I mean, I don't know if Zach Ryder's listening. We can we can maybe hook him up with that as a as an exclusive. I'm sure these are the most beautiful, <laughs> coolest action figures I've seen produced out of the wrestling world. That's for sure. It's unbelievable but, that 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 this even is part of the story. But the other part of the story I found interesting was uh, Tiny the Terrible's little argument with uh, Eric Kulos's father. Like about whether or not he could ride yeah. back with them. That seems that whole relationship seems like an interesting dynamic. Is that fair to say, Evan? Yeah. So, <clears throat> look again, w- looking into how deep the rabbit hole goes on mass transit, um, was when w- something again we just didn't know. We would never have known. Is that there's a history between tiny the terrible and the kulas family that dates that way predates the mass transit incident they're from kind of the same area in rhode island and um and uh jason you might remember the story better than me but wasn't it that tiny the terrible when he was in i think school like yeah. that you want to take it yeah he was in school and he he rode the bus home every day after school and his father was very protective of him and always made it a point that, like, as soon as you, like, are done school, I want you to come home, like, as soon as possible. And so Tiny was on the bus, and they're driving, and Stephen, or um, Eric Kulas's father was Tiny's bus driver oh. growing up. And so I guess that's kind of where the mass transit gimmick comes from, is it's, it sounds like almost kind of like a dedication to his father in a lot of ways. And so... Totally. Um, so I guess Tiny one day he went he pulled for his stop and Stephen blew past the stop and Tiny got really p- pissed off and confronted Stephen about it and I guess according to Tiny Stephen chased after Tiny and picked him up and threw him and Tiny was like uh, late getting home 
uh, from school that day. And his dad, I think, was like really upset with him. And he had to explain the whole story to him. So, yeah, they had this like previous beef. And so that's like when you see there's that argument at the at the in the mass transit episode where uh steven and tiny are like at each other it is because there is there was this pre-existing tension between them and somehow they like got over it um before going to the mass transit or going to to that event that night um but um yeah he was like he was like tiny was like really angry with steven yeah just to throw onto that too from what i recollect Tiny always thought Eric was cool. Yeah. Um, like Eric was always nice to Tiny. Um, and they had sort of developed this relationship. And then um, when they started wrestling together, you know, one of the things that was cool to see on the internet or on social media last night when we uh, when the when the episode premiered is, you know, you, you get to see all the mass transit scholars that are out there because they're out there. And mm-hmm. uh and a lot of people were really impressed with the fact that that we were able to locate that that footage of uh, Tiny the Terrible and his brother performing with Eric, you know, at the, some fairground somewhere, um, which was a whole Mission Impossible story into itself in terms of getting Tiny to unearth that tape uh, from his closet uh, and actually mail it to us, which he did. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just so interesting because you always have heard that story. I think when I go back, I think now I remember how we kind of arrived at Tiny was when you read about the mass transit incident or you hear about it, you always get that detail of Eric showing up to the ECW match with um, two little people. Right. And it was kind of like, you know, and then I think I remember we turned to each other like, who are who who, who are they? You know, what's their story? (laughs) You know, and this and I think that's when we just the Pandora's box opened from there. Well, the other guy who was uh, interviewed about this subject is Sandman, and and he talks about going on next and and bleeding a gusher trying to take the quote unquote heat off of New Jack, but he also seems to learn exactly what New Jack's beef was and why he cut Mass Transit. When you guys tell him uh, the sort of the backstory, how was Sandman to work with, and 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 how is he through this project? Oh man, Sandman was amazing um and i have to just say like you know growing up for me growing up as a wrestling fan like sandman was really my stone cold steve austin growing up like for real um i was uh i I was fortunate enough when i when because i uh grew up in minneapolis and at the mall of america lol in minneapolis there was actually an rf video kiosk in the mall which was so crazy. And you could go to the mall and you could basically buy these ECW VHS tapes growing up. So when I was probably like, I don't know, 14, 15, maybe I, I had, you know, got these ECW tapes, had no idea what it was. And then seeing the Sandman, I mean that, you know, Oh my God. I mean, that was, it was a, it was a big deal to me at the time. Um, and so when we, that he was probably like, you know, we do a lot of these interviews with a lot of these wrestlers, people we grew up watching and everything. And it's very rare that I ask any of the subjects for a photo or mark out or anything like that. But Sandman was definitely one of those guys that I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to get a picture. Um, <laughs> but he was super cool, man. He was super cool. And someone needs to cast him as the Joker in something, uh, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, let's talk about another character who appeared in this story. Uh, and it just, he jumps off the screen. He is a natural born entertainer. Of course, I'm talking about Jim Cornette. 
what a joy was it to work with him and just get his commentary on some of the craziness of new Jack, especially the smoky mountain days. Yeah. Well, Jim, um, Jim Cornette is always our favorite stop on the road. I think how many times do you think we've been to his house in the last two years? Has it been like six times? It could be. It could be. Yeah. Um, it's always our favorite stop. Uh, he and his wife, Stacy treat us like a million dollars every time we, we show up. Um, and he's just such a wealth of knowledge in terms of, you can literally put any subject in front of him and he's with no preparation and he can just roll. And this story we knew because he, you know, he actually is involved in this story. And I, I always laugh when he, when he talks about the new Jack thing is where he, he almost looks at himself as the Dr. Loomis, uh, you know, in, in Halloween kind of unleashing Michael Myers into the world, uh, of this whole story, which is always gives me, makes me laugh. But, um, oh, he's just so great to work with. It's kind of like when wrestlers talk about, you know, how, uh, working with certain guys is like a night off. I mean, that's literally what it's like when we do interviews with Jim, because he's, he's so good with the soundbite and he makes our lives so much easier in the edit room in terms of just like, Okay, boom, perfect, perfect, perfect. And he always is there to help us move the story along. And yeah, he's just it it'd be it'd be hard to do um, you know, some of these episodes without him. It's so entertaining. I can't wait to see more of him this season. The other guy that, that pops up in this episode is D'Lo Brown. Why was D'Lo the right guy to talk to here? I mean, obviously he was with uh New Jack and Smoky Mountain. I didn't know much of their real life relationship, but his commentary uh, in particular <laughs> On the, uh, I hate to laugh, but it's just funny when he watches the footage of new Jack stabbing William Lane and he says, oh, he's stabbing this motherfucker. And it became a viral clip that you guys would post on social. And it tickled me every time because apparently D'Lo had never seen it. Talk to me about your experience, uh, catching up with D'Lo. Yeah. So D'Lo, um, you know, being a part of the gangsters or I guess in the early incarnation of the gangsters in smoky mountain, um, was somebody that, um, was on our radar that we just love, you know, he's such a, he's so, he's such a good storyteller as well. And we knew we wanted D'Lo for other, uh, stories that mm-hmm. you're going to see, um, in this season. Um, so he just felt like a good fit to cover kind of, uh, multiple episodes. Um, and he was great. And, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, but yeah, he didn't know <clears throat> about all of the, actually most of the people in this episode didn't know all of the new Jack incidents. A lot of people didn't know about the, the whole William Jason Lane, uh, incident. I mean, Jim Cornette didn't know about it and we showed him for the first time, what you see in the episode. <clears throat> so that was just, you know, completely, uh, entertaining just to be able to see D'Lo kind of, you know, have a raw reaction to that video. But yeah, D- D'Lo was fantastic. Jason from an outsider, <laughs> if you're a non wrestling fan, how off putting will they be with wrestling genre when they realize the entire idea behind the gangsters in Smoky Mountain was to generate, for lack of a better word, quote unquote, race heat. Well, it's one of the interesting aspects. I, I think the most interesting aspect of like their, that, that, that tag team and, and how they generated heat, like from the audience. It's, it really is like, I think like a, ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And, and D'Lo is really good at kind of talking about the nuances that's, really kind of difficult to talk about it on, on how like they were trying to get like racial heat from like the audience. And if they were getting racial slurs thrown at them, they knew that they were doing a good job, which is like, you just can't, 
fathom that kind of idea in any other sport or art form, you know? Especially and, today, in today's world. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. <clears throat> it, definitely. Um, and so, yeah, that I think is like, I don't know, I think just from, I think wrestling is always at its best when it's kind of commenting on the social issues of the of the current day, you know? And that's, they were definitely leaning on the racial tensions that were happening during like the, the LA riots uh, at the time. And uh, New Jack was definitely playing into the, the racial stereotypes that were like, uh, that were perceived before his time. And that also makes him kind of a groundbreaking character in a lot of ways. And we tried to show that in the episode about how he would take racial stereotypes and just throw it back into the audience's faces. And, um, that yeah is like weirdly like I don't know I think over time it <laughs> it's crazy to say but I think it does have like a therapeutic effect or at least like some kind of you uh, you get a better understanding of the times. Evan, just staying on the race bit for a minute, you know it's it's clear that that's what he's looking for is is quote unquote cheap heat in Smoky Mountain and he's leaning heavily on on the race issues in America to do that and just turning the volume up. But then we would see later, you know, in his incidences with, uh, um, Gypsy Joe and, and William Lane, he sort of uses the crowd buying into that race piece as fuel to further the attack. Do you think that's uh, a cop out or, or an interesting dynamic of, uh, the mind of a mind, uh, the mind of a madman? Well, I mean, it's definitely a theme that, that keeps coming up in, when you look at all the all the stories that we cover in the episode is, you know, just how these like, you know, audiences, you know, throwing racial slurs at him throughout, you know, his whole career. And it's something that you have to factor into, you know, some triggering aspects for sure in terms of the, you know, the things that he's done. And it's, it is, it's so complicated again, when you look at the nature of performance in this way and, you know, when playing a heel character and going that far and, and seeing how and seeing the reaction it gets. But at the same time, it also does kind of have this effect to expose kind of just the way people are at their root. You know, yeah. like when you see these these shows and you see how people are reacting to it, it is disturbing. It's it is disturbing for to imagine people like just be feeling that they can do that, that they can shout that, you know, it's that's a whole nother disturbing layer to this whole story is just like, you know, the audience <laughs> as well. Um, but I did remember just now a story <clears throat> about Delo that, um, we didn't get a chance to put in the episode, um, which is, you know, new Jack was a bounty hunter, uh, before he was a wrestler and also a little bit during the time when he was in smoky mountain, he also was doing some bounty hunting. And after a match one night, uh, his beeper goes off. And whenever the beeper goes off, he's got like another bounty coming in. And so he turns to D'Lo because they had just finished up a match. And he's like, oh, there's a bounty like, like, like on the next town over, like an hour away. Do you want to come with me and we can split the, we can split the bounty? And D'Lo's never, you know gone on a bounty before or anything and so he agrees to go with new jack and he tells us the story about how after the match they hop in the car they drive over an hour away to this other town and this is like two in the morning maybe two or three in the morning and new jack's like okay d you go around the back 
And if the guy starts running out the back, just grab him. <laughs> and New Jack walks in this guy's house in like two in the morning or whatever. And then basically Delo's like waiting outside the back door thinking like, am I going to get shot? Like, am I going to die? Like, is this the moment I'm going to die? And basically they go in and New Jack gets the guy. They throw him in the car and they have to drive him like, I think like all night. Like they have to drive him like five, six plus hours from wherever they picked him up all the way to, you know, where there's, I don't know where the, he's or like originates or where they're going to prosecute him or whatever. And, uh, but just him telling us the story of like having to stay awake and driving the car throughout the whole night with this like guy that they just apprehended. Oh my God. It's a wild, wild story. I also just thought of too, and I'm sure this is going to happen a lot as we do this, but um, I just remember too who bankrolled Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and we tried to get him for the episode was Rick Rubin. That's right. Who I guess you could also hold responsible for helping to uh, create the character New Jack, but <laughs> but yeah, Rick Rubin was some was someone who's produced like you know all like I don't know a bunch of the Beastie Boy albums, and every Talented hit record and, uh, ever. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, if this was a video, we could cue the montage of Rick Rubin marking out like at front row at a bunch of wrestling events. Um, he's a major wrestling fan, but it would have been cool to have heard his perspective on all this, too. Did Rick not respond to your inquiries? I can't remember exactly what happened, but, you know, uh, somebody I think didn't we get a hold of him, but it was just like it was too late. And I think he may have been so. interested, but it was just it was too late at that point. Well, I, I don't know if he had seen the show yet because we have um, our friend Chris, who worked on season one, um, uh, was was kind of the conduit. And we tried to because, you know, he's a major wrestling fan, especially of the era that we that we mostly covered in season one. And uh, and I think we tried to get him the show and it was just kind of like hearing back and just one of those things that didn't quite land into place when we needed it to. But yeah, definitely something we tried to do. For sure, on this episode. Somebody else who's uh, missing from the episode, but did appear uh, afterwards in the After Dark episode is Mu is Mustafa, uh, his longtime partner through both Smoky Mountain and ECW. Did Mustafa initially have some hesitation in participating, or or did you guys meet up with him and it just wound up on the cutting room floor? Oh, it's a it's definitely a regret. I'm gonna I'll be honest, it's definitely a regret. Um, like Jason said earlier. There's only so many people that um, we can actually afford to go see. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. We have a set budget for each episode. It's not a big budget. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes, I mean, you know, like literally our budget is like when we travel on the road, you know, we were telling you we have four people on the road that we travel with. We can only somehow afford three hotel rooms. I don't know how that works out, but that's what's yeah. that's the truth. So um, it's like it was just one of those things where it was, it was a choice and I do regret it because I think it would have been great to have Mustafa there, especially cause then we could have asked him, did you smoke pencil shavings and why? <laughs> <laughs> what a great note. I was really disappointed in after dark when nobody brought a pencil shaving. Bro. I know. I know. That's like, we just teed it up. I mean, what, how, how could you not, how could you not? Well, the other person I wanted to ask about is, uh, Vic Grimes, who I'll admit I mistakenly a few weeks ago on uh, what happened when with Tony Schiavone, I, I mentioned that Vic Grimes had passed away. I was mistaken. Vic Grimes is alive and well, although new Jack tried to help him with that during the XPW show. Um, what about Vic Grimes story? Did you guys, uh, reach out to him and, and what, what did you learn about the Vic Grimes incident? And most importantly, 
how in the world did you find the ability to license XPW footage? Oh my Lord. Okay. <clears throat> well, Vic Grimes, no, we didn't, we didn't reach out to Vic Grimes. Um, as, as we knew in kind of scripting the story that it was going to be just a piece of the, a smaller piece of the story. Right. And again, having to figure out how are you going to spend this, this, this budget to travel and where, how are you going to map it out? And it was just one of the decisions that we made. However, um, in, in putting the XPW footage in the episode, it was the last minute. And I'm telling you the last minute. W when was this, Jason? Like two weeks ago? Oh, three, man. three weeks ago? I think so. Yeah, three weeks ago. I'd say three weeks ago. Because um, we've been trying to locate, I can't remember his name. You might remember. But uh, we tried to locate the fellow who owned XPW to be able to license this footage. And I think it, it just was like this, you know, where in the world is this? You know, th we couldn't find him. And um, somehow we had gotten this tip that he owns or he works at a restaurant or he owns a restaurant and it might be a gentleman's club or something like that, that he either works at or he owns. I couldn't remember. And uh, we can't get this guy on the phone. We can't get him on email. So we actually uh, hired one of our friends yeah to, to 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 someone you you've grown up with right yeah it was a, a friend of mine i grew up making movies with who he's helped us along the way he's a big wrestling fan and he's he's helped us with a couple things and i remember yeah like you said this was three weeks ago i came out of the editing booth and i saw glenn his name's glenn matthews and i saw him standing there and there's a, a bunch of you guys are talking to him and someone tells me yeah we're gonna like Send him down to the. He's gonna drive down to the states and and um, stake out this like, was it like an ice cream restaurant to try and get no, the right no, for this? No, and no. I I can't remember. I was like, is this a joke? Like, what are you putting my friend through right now? No, I was like, we're Jason. We're going on a mission, and it was it was Glenn had to drive from Toronto to Rochester, New York. You know, yeah. five six hours, and uh, he his mission was to stake out this gentleman's club. Um, and he had to wait outside in the car to see if he could spot this guy walking in. And then he would spot him, go in and basically say, hi, I'm, I'm with this show and we, we need to license this Vic Grimes footage immediately. <laughs> and <clears throat> so we basically were getting live updates every hour. And then it was literally like, we got the text message target acquired, you know, and like he went, he went in. To, he, he, he met the guy, sat down with him, and then I heard, like, okay, we got an update. They're, like, sitting down, and they're having, like, energy drinks together. Okay, great. He's talking. He seems positive. Seems good. Okay, great. And then, like, it was just, like, it took all day. But I think by, like, the literally 8 or 9 p.m. after hanging out with this guy drinking energy drinks the whole day, you're like, we finally got him to sign. <laughs> you know, and it was, like, the lengths we had to go to just to be able to show that fall is, like, uh, pretty wild. <laughs> And to be clear, you went to Rob Black's establishment in order to do this. I mean, that's who would have owned the footage, right? I believe that was his name. Yeah. Yeah. Rob uh, Black. I'm not. I'm, yeah. Dude, you got to get down the rabbit hole on that. I used to own a, an adult film company to use that to, to fund XPW and allegedly put a hit out on another wrestler who may or may not have been with his wife and tried to cut his oh, penis sure. off. And there's a lot of craziness behind that. And I think the, the restaurant you're talking about is American Cheeseburger in Rochester. That's right. That is it. American cheeseburger. Yeah. yeah. Because at one point I, I texted Glenn and I'm like, what, what's going on? He said, I ha I'm watching this guy flip burgers. <laughs> like, 
what? He's like, and Glenn was like, yeah, he had to go back on his ship. He can't sign anything until he's done flipping these burgers. And I was like, okay. <laughs> this is amazing, man. What an interesting tangled web professional wrestling so wait, can be. So, so what you're saying is that Conrad, we, we might've put Glenn in some, in, in harm's way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he left with his penis in place. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about, Sorry, Glenn. let's talk about, uh, spaghetti. For a minute, we, we learned, <laughs> we learned when we met MWW, who I feel like could also have his own YouTube series that new Jack is a hell of a cook, particularly with spaghetti. Talk to me about the MWW CD that you, <laughs> Jason, I think you oh, posted. Oh yeah. Uh, th yes. This is a character and a half, right? Jason. Oh man. Absolutely. When we rolled up to his house, like his apartment was really, it, it was tiny. So like we can only go in there like one at a time pretty much to like set up. And so me and the, the sound mixer, Adam, we, we both went in, I was looking for a spot to set up the camera and MWW who used to also go by the name CB Kane, who was a promoter of uh, thunder and wrestling. wrestler. Yep. Yeah. And wrestler. Yeah. And he, he just started putting on some music and while we were setting up and Adam and I, we were like grooving to it and we're like, what is this? And he's like, oh, this is, the, <laughs> this is my, my album. And he had this like corner of the apartment like blocked off. And I kind of looked over and I saw he had this whole recording set up there. And we just got really into it. And uh, we just had him play the music like the whole time we were setting up. As we left, he gave us like a copy of the album. And I, for like weeks, we played that album on repeat while we were on the road. <laughs> Months. It was just... It Months. like it stuck into our brains, like we, like it just haunted our minds. Haunted. Um, <laughs> but in a, it, it's so good. Um, I definitely it, like his albums out there. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. You gotta check it out. I'm, I'm. One thing we're really obsessed about too is like um, music that's created in the wrestling scene. Like wrestlers mm. who have made albums, and we collect them. Like as we. Uh, are on the road and try to track them down and so that that album for us in a lot of ways is is a little bit of a, like a little holy grail artifact that um we really hold dear to our do to our hearts yeah if there's a way we can put some mww on at the end of this episode uh, uh or something that oh, would be yeah. great thanks S say no more fam. <laughs> i got you by the way you can find uh his work very easily just throw in your google machine mww music Really remarkable. He'll play us out here today and as well, he should, uh, uh he, okay. he's the promoter when, uh, and we've referenced it a few times, William Lane, the guy in Florida who got stabbed MWW is the promoter of that show. Whatever happened to William Lane? Did you guys find out? Could not find William Lane again, just uh, <clears throat> a lot of resources were thrown. Maybe somebody, you know, if, if, had we put it out there in the Twitter verse, we would have been able to, but of course we wanted to you know, keep everything close to our hands when we we're sure. producing this, but couldn't find him. Honestly, just, we, we, we had tried cause we were going down to that area. We were already going to be in Jacksonville. Um, and just, yeah, couldn't find him. Um, but one thing I want to just also bring up about MWW is that when Jason and I go on the road and we talk to a lot of these wrestlers, you know, something that we've developed and we've honed over the course of these past couple of years is the ability to know when we're getting worked, you know, like our work meter, is like, uh, has, has gotten more experience. Stronger. It's getting stronger. <laughs> yeah, it's getting stronger. <clears throat> and this might be 
the interview that we were worked the most, I, I think. Um, and, and I'm not trying to throw shade or, you know, or, or trying to, you know, like, like MWW, I mean, we love his music, huge fans, but definitely there was some, uh, it, it was, it, it was, <laughs> it was definitely like, that can't be true. Come on. You know, and I'm not talking about spaghetti or anything. I'm talking about like the actual event itself. He kind of, you know, distanced himself from it. Cause the whole incident with William Jason Lane, he was like, Oh, I, I wasn't watching you know, the monitor or whatever, watching the event as it was happening. And he was, which was like, come on, how could you not be watching your own event, especially when you have New Jack on? And and then he said that uh, somebody had alerted him that there was something going on in the ring, and so he went down to the ring. And in both of the the actual footage, and there's because there's there, there's multiple angles that that you can access on that on that footage. You see MWW coming out to approach New Jack, and there is a little bit of a confrontation that occurs there. I think New Jack might even like hit him, and then he kind of grabs him by the collar. And the way MWW was telling the story was that uh, he came out there to talk to New Jack, and New Jack was just, you know, he was as calm as could be, and he just, you know, was lying next to William Jason Lane. And he was just he he had put an arm around William Jason Lane and he was just trying to comfort him there while he was laying on the ground. And I'm thinking, like, what are you talking about? He's got his foot on his head and he's like crushing his head. And then like he's grabbing you by the collar. It was it was bizarre. Like the whole tone of the interview, I think, was either like in fear of New Jack, you know, like in in fear of what he was going to say or just it was just that old promoter working you type thing. Fascinating. Well, Jason, let's, uh, let's ask the question. Everybody wants to know how much fun did you have filming the cocaine scene at the end of the dock? <laughs> well, it, that was a question I asked, um, I, at the end of our new Jack interview, I think it was the last question I asked him if there was a movie about his life, what would he want the ending to be? And then he said, you know, to be, in a wheelchair snorting cocaine like into his 80s basically (laughs) yeah we knew as soon as we like as soon as he said that Edwin and i knew we were going to be filming that (laughs) and that was going to be the end shot of the episode um and yeah i thought it turned out pretty good (laughs) we uh, um yeah that was that was just uh i mean and that that was the last shot we filmed for that episode uh, it was Yeah, I think so. It was yep, just even more apropos. It was definitely it was down to the wire because like literally the AD and the assistant director had like a stopwatch because we have to stop like right on the time. And you were on the other end of the wheelchair and you mm-hmm. pushed him into frame while we were rolling. And that as soon as the camera cut, we were done for the day. <laughs> Jason inquiring minds want to know, uh, did you use shooting cocaine or working cocaine? <laughs> it's a shoot. It's a shoot. <laughs> Let's get to Twitter. We posted earlier this morning that we were going to be recording and said, Hey, if you guys have a question for Evan or Jason, fire away. And, uh, lots of questions about stuff that we've already covered here today. But one that stood out to me was, was there any topic that was deemed off limits by new Jack or was he pretty open about everything that was asked of him? I mean, he was open. I mean, he's very open. You ask him something and he'll, he'll give you an answer. Um, it's just whether or not like, you know, when, when we asked him about being a uh, Dusty Rhodes fan that he's alleged in other or he's talked about in other interviews, I mean, he's like, no, that's not true. So you might just get something where he shoots it down, but there was nothing off limits. Let's, uh, let's talk about 
the other uh, documentary that he's appeared in, Jeffrey writes in, did you guys watch Beyond the Map before starting work on the New Jack episode? Uh, because he is a, a central character in that movie. I think everybody who's seen it knows that uh, Barry Blaustein took him to do some reads or some table reads and audition for some different parts. And I think one of the casting directors said maybe he wouldn't be Denzel, but he would be Denzel's friend. He then shows his knuckles <laughs> to the camera, talks about being a bounty hunter, says he has no knuckles from quote unquote, beating a bitch in the eye. I mean, he is a over the top character on beyond the map. Was that one of the reasons you think he is on everyone's radar to begin with? I, yeah, I, I, well, I, I think for a lot of people, like I've seen that brought up, um, in the last week, a lot more and from friends of mine who weren't too familiar of new Jack, but they knew him from that documentary, which we love that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, when we approached this, I don't think we really, like, we really focused on that, um, on like on that aspect of the doc. Um, but you could see like, obviously just spending time with new Jack, like he, and, and seeing his performance, he is so charismatic. Like, um, like there could have been a world maybe where he could have been an actor, in films um but yeah he uh he definitely has like a charisma to him that you know the camera just loves him and i just remember watching beyond the mat when it came out and that might be one of the early times where i became aware of new jack because you know so so it's possible but i mean yeah definitely that that scene of him doing the table read is is incredible yeah let's talk about uh a question that we got more often than any other. And it really stood out to me that people had this on their mind. This one in particular, John Owens writes in, was there any thought to touching on the Terry Runnels relationship, Evan? Um, you know, it, I will admit, uh, that it was another thing I was like, Oh shoot. I forgot to ask about. I literally remember, uh, I think a day after, uh, like the interview and being like, that was one thing that I had forgot to ask about. Cause I was also curious, um, about that. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was something, it's something that I didn't know, uh, until like right, right before we did the interview, I, I didn't even know they had that, that relationship. So, but yeah, sadly, unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't make its way onto my interview question, uh, list. Jason, have you seen the often talked about picture of Terry Runnels, uh, quote unquote, getting color? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah. That happened during the relationship and went a little underground viral and everybody was like, what in the world is going on? And it was one of the most requested questions here. So I thought I'd bring it up, but I wasn't sure if it was maybe out of bounds. It doesn't feel like it fits in the story necessarily, but it does show you more of the craziness surrounding his life. Definitely. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Evan, how much do you think of, uh, these sort of in-ring incidences that we saw. Well, King Matthew writes in, if you ever wondered how new Jack prepared for a match, it's always the same. I like the way he said it too. Quote, I was in the back doing cocaine and I was high as fuck. How much of a contributing factor do you think drugs have been to some of the over the limit violence we've seen from new Jack in the ring? Man, it's hard to say, but I mean, it can't be, it can't be discredited. I mean, it's, it's also just one of the other aspects of the story that's that is disturbing when you look at it, because, you know, traditionally in wrestling, this is this this should be a safe environment, right? For people to because you are you're, you are in, in wrestling, you're trusting your body with somebody else. I mean, that's the 
foundation of it. You should always try and leave the ring the way that you came into it, you know, kind of one of the golden rules, I suppose. And it is just kind of one of the more disturbing aspects of, of it is, you know, that level of trust that you have, you know, with your opponent. I certainly wouldn't be getting in the ring with New Jack if I was a wrestler, you know, and basically trusting him with that. So, yeah, that was kind of one of the more aspects that, you know, one of the things we wanted to show is, you know, yeah, that that is one of the more, I don't know. D- disturbing, yeah. unfortunate aspects of the, of the of the story. Yeah, I saw just like a little like sh- shoot interview thing that someone posted last night with New Jack talking about like how he did some of those forty foot balcony uh, uh, jumps, and he said, "How else do you think I did it? By doing a bunch of cocaine, basically. Like, <laughs> you know." And I guess like that maybe that's what gives you the courage to do something like that because. Man, when you see some of those drops, it's crazy. He's fall he's falling to the point where there's that like little second where your your gut drops, where you're like, "Oh my god, that's like it's a little too long for someone to fall into something that is not water or <laughs> a giant crash mat or a bunch of boxes." He's just landing on another person from like 40 feet above. Like you would have to be running on something to help you get <laughs> courage to do something like that i would think i don't know never seen anyone else do anything like that yeah i uh i had the uh good fortune i guess you would call it to see new jack do some of those dives live in person and seeing it on tv is one thing but actually being in the building when you see a human just fall like that it's uh it's something else and so is this episode jason let's put a bow on on new jack here if you had to describe you know new jack to an outsider a non-wrestling fan and explain what this episode was about. How would you sum oh it up God. in a sentence or two? <laughs> oh man. I guess it's, I don't know. It's it's hard, it's tough for me to say, but the way I've kind of talked to my friends about it, it I bring it back to, you know, how I kind of connected to the story in the sense that how I love wrestlers who really blur those lines, who it's harder to finish differentiate who's the character from the from the person and you know like i was saying before like i i kind of romanticize that a little bit um even though new jack has done some horrific things to people i think like his legacy will go on as something that people will be really fascinated with um for generations to come and he's like very unique in in a way that i've never people never saw a gimmick like his before and i don't think we've ever seen a gimmick like it since and so like it or not he is someone who like really pushes the boundaries in the wrestling world and jim Cornette says in the episode it's someone that he can even believe in like that the character is like real and so that i i think really makes it i don't know fascinating for us well i will i will also throw onto that too like just kind of going back to what i was saying before <clears throat> it was an, a thing we wanted to look at was that idea of, you know, where do you draw the line, right? Between, and I think Jim Cornette puts it perfectly of between working and wrestling and like felonious assault. And <clears throat> I don't want to minimize the fact that they're also, you know, people were messed up in a lot of these, in a lot of these instances. I mean, you see, because, because if you're hearing us now talk about how the Kulas family was destroyed by this and then also talking about, you know, um, I mean, William Jason Lane, 
he's lucky to probably be alive. And of course we know Vic Grimes is lucky to be alive. I mean, had, had that incident been just like a few, like a foot or two different in the way he landed, I mean, he might not be here. So you can't also minimize the fact that, you know, these, there are, you know, some instances here that are pretty horrifying. And we did want to kind of present that in a way that people could, could look at that, you know, and, and, and even though the story is, is exhilarating to listen to, and it's wild and there's some wild characters involved. It kind of presents you with that and and saying, how do you feel about this? And that was one thing that I saw online yesterday was a lot of different people having different sides. And it did provoke that discussion, which is kind of what we always want to try and do with our episodes is we want to kind of leave people at a crossroads. Um, and that's going to be much more evident as we talk about some of the other stories that are coming up uh, this season. But it is kind of where do you fall in this? You know, and I, I saw a lot of. Um, indie wrestlers talking about that issue of trust in the ring and 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 how that is completely broken. So, um, yeah, I think that's just another thing that I would put add on top of, you know, um, how I would describe it to somebody. Evan, there was so much negative, so much bad in the, in the Benoit story you did last week, but you tried to find a silver lining of let's put Daniel Benoit and Nancy's family back together again. And it really did sort of have a happy ending to a really, really sad story. Is there a silver lining or a happy ending to the new Jack episode? I mean, it's kind of what I was just saying. I mean, it's like, uh, I think it's in your perception of the story, uh, in, in anyone's perception of the story. And, and one thing that's interesting is you can look at that last shot when new Jack sums up, if his life were a movie, how would you want it to end? Right. It is a funny concept, but also at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, that's his perception of himself, right? And so, I don't know. I don't know if it does kind of end. I think you could look at it not ending with a silver lining because, I don't know, there is something also just inherently disturbing about all of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and And that was something that we wanted to try and present, even though that moment at the end over the credits when he's talking about, you know, dumping or he has, <laughs> we have cocaine dumping all over him and everything. I mean, that is kind of, I don't know how he views himself. Right. I mean, that's the be all end all for new Jack. So that is kind of could be looked at as disturbing too. And, and for the record, Jason, that was uh, hashtag shoot cocaine. Uh, Jason, give us a preview <laughs> for, uh, for next week. We saw a commercial here in this episode. Brawl for all is up next. What can we expect from a Brawl for All episode next week, Jason? Yeah, the Brawl for All episode is something that, like, a lot of people asked us, like, how were we able to tell, a, like, a full hour of television, the story of, like, the Brawl for All? How could we fit that story into a full hour? And it was actually, like, very easy in a lot of ways because there's a, a, there's a, a really, I, I don't know how you say it, but, like, a, a dark I, I guess people have said to us like what's the dark side of like the brawl for all and in a lot of ways there's a lot of darkness to it like here is a story about a bunch of mid-card wrestlers who are looking for a way to get a push and at the time uh, the, uh, the WWF come up with this gimmick to basically have wrestlers do real shoot fights to actually put on boxing gloves and fight for real and ask the audience that has already been, you know, are in on the 
like the staged wrestling um, performances that they're seeing, and now we're asking they're asking the audience to watch real shoot fights, and um, and a lot of a lot of people have said it's like the worst idea probably that's ever been conceived in the wrestling industry. And as we dove into it more and more, we realized that in a lot of ways that could be the case. A lot of people got hurt, and a lot of careers got ruined. Um, so yeah, it's a <laughs> It's a crazy one. Yeah, and it also kind of goes into that again. That is that issue of trust in the ring when it gets completely thrown to the wayside, and there's kind of a vehicle for that. Um, and like one of the things that's disturbing to me about the brawl for all is you really see uh, a host of guys who you know some of them have been in bar fights. Of course, there's Dan Severn, who's a decorated UFC fighter and stuff. But for the most part, you're looking at a bunch of guys who are really in over their head, out of their element, especially when it comes to like you know, live television, TV cameras being on you. And like, you know, now we're just going to beat each other up for real. There is something kind of sad. I'm going to say, I think it is sad. There is a sad kind of disturbing quality to it. When you see these guys kind of naively going into it, when they have the carrot dangled in front of them of like, okay, this is going to, this is going to accelerate your career. And this is going to be the thing that, you know, gets you to have that run, you know, with Steve Austin or whatever, you know, or that's at least the mindset that they're, that they're subscribing to. And then when you see like, here's a guy like Bart Gunn who, um, uh, you know, triumphs in this, in this event, you see that, you know, his reward, which he thought was going to be this, you know, this, this new stardom for himself, where probably just, if, just you know, just, just had he not participated in the brawl for all, he might've just completely, his contract might have not gotten renewed and he would have fallen by the wayside. But now in this event, he's triumphed overall and then we see that that you know any hope for him to get that rub is completely squashed <laughs> when he gets decapitated uh, by by uh, Butterbean at WrestleMania. So it, it is kind of this tragic hero story. So I think what people are going to see next week is that you know yeah the brawl for all is this failed you know concept, but there are real consequences uh, to this to this kind of uh, haphazard concept. And then at the same time, it really is the story of Bart Gunn. I mean, who who would have thought in 2020? that we're going to see Bart Gunn on television. And who knows, maybe Bart Gunn will be trending on Twitter uh, next week. Jason, did that shock you when New Jack was trending on Twitter last night in 2020? Yeah, Evan sent me a picture of it, and I couldn't believe it. And then someone said that Mass Transit may have been also trending as well. Too. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> that's surreal. Well, I know what's going to be trending next week, Evan. I've had a chance to see the Brawl for All episode. There is uh, one of these sit-down interviews in particular that's going to have a lot of people buzzing next week. Am I right? Man, which I don't even know what one we're talking about, but... Uh, a, mel- a meltdown. Russo? Uh, <laughs> there was a meltdown, in fact. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, an epic yes. rant, one that will probably be replayed over and over. Uh, such a character. You don't want to miss the episode. I don't want to give a spoiler here, but... Brawl for all it's coming up this coming Tuesday. Uh, so the countdown is on six days away. It's Tuesdays, 10 PM Eastern. And, uh, I'm fired up, man. You can check your local listings. I've got direct TV, but I've got it. I know it's also on dish network. And I think most of our listeners who can't see it internationally yet, they were able to enjoy the Benoit episode on YouTube. Evan, do we think the new Jack episode will be on YouTube anytime soon? You know, I don't know. Um, I know it's, I wish I did, but it, it tends to be this thing where vice kind of decides, okay, we'll throw it on YouTube. Um, and so I'm not sure, but for those who didn't catch the broadcast, 
usually it shows up on iTunes, on Amazon, where you can you can get it, you can purchase it there. Um, or, you know, maybe someone will just upload it to YouTube and you can watch it there. Yeah. But but anyway, you can see it, get your hands on it. We want to hear what you think. We should also mention there is a vice app. So if you have like a Roku or an Apple TV or something like that, you can download the vice app and there's probably an opportunity for you to watch there as well. I, I know I watched season one, uh, I don't know, late last year, I watched it for the second time and I did the, the vice app to do so. So go out of your way to see the new Jack episode wherever you can, but you've got to find a way to have vice on your TV next Tuesday, 10 PM Eastern. It's the brawl for all episode. And I want to thank Jason and uh, Evan for taking some time to catch up today. This is fun, man. Let's do this again next week. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I love it. Thank you. And, uh, without further ado, man, let's get out of here and play a little MWW. MWW. See you next week <laughs> right here on dark side of the podcast. Every time I look around, somebody always hurt me. Every time I look around, somebody wants to destroy me. Every time I look around, all they want to do is defeat me. Every time I look around, everybody wants to hate me. You know what? Look around, I made it. You know what? Look around, you didn't break me. You know what? Look around, I made it. Know what? Look around, you didn't break me. Look around and know that I came through. Some people that I loved, I couldn't count on you. Look around and know that I came through. People that I loved, I couldn't count on you. Even when I look around, Seem all by myself because I look around for help. Seems like ain't nobody there. Heartache, soul, a chaos is everywhere. I look to stick my hand out, but ain't nothing there but air. I look around, hoping to find some peace of mind. Every time I look around, just lies of every kind. I'm asking, help me, help me, please. Doesn't anyone care? Just want somebody to talk to. Can't find a friend nowhere. Every time I look around, looks like people deceive me. Every time I look around, so much pain I can't believe it. But then I look around, that silver lining is there. You're not really by yourself because somebody's near. So now when I look around, I don't expect nothing. I'll see what I need. I'm sure I'll get something. Every time I look around, I see people very different. Every time I look around, people are what they say they meant. Know what? Look around. I made it. Look around. Know what? You didn't break me. Look around. Know what? I made it. Look around and know that you didn't break me. Look around and know that I came through. Some people that I loved, I found I couldn't count on you. Look around and know that I came through. Some 
Somebody's always hurting me Every time I look around Somebody wants to destroy me Every time I look around All they want to do is defeat me Every time I look around Everybody wants to hate me Look around and know that You didn't break me Look around and know that You didn't break me Look around and know that You didn't break me Look around and know that Know that I made it Look around and know that I came through Some people that I loved I couldn't count on you Look around John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.